Chapter Six of Christmas A Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Christmas A Story by Zona Gale. Chapter Six. Mary Chava sent her letter of blunt directions concerning her sister's headstone and the few belongings which her sister had wished her to have. The last lines of the letter were about the boy. "'Send the little one along. I am not the one, but I don't know what else to tell you to do with him. Let me know when to expect him, and put his name in with his things. I can't remember his right name.' When the answer came from John Blood a fortnight later, it said that a young fellow of those parts was starting back home shortly to spend Christmas, and would take charge of the child as far as the city, and there put him on his train for Old Trail Town. She would be notified just what day to expect him, and John knew how glad his mother would have been, and his father too, and he was her grateful nephew." P.S. he would send some money every month toward him. The night after she received this letter, Mary lay long awake, facing what it was going to mean to have him there, to have a child there. She recalled what she had heard other women say about it, stray utterances made with the burdened look that hid a secret complacency, a kind of pleased Freemasonry in a universal lot. The children bring so much sand into the house you'd think it was horses. The center table looks loaded and ready to start half the time, but I can't help it with the children's books and truck. Never would have another house built without a coat closet. The children's cloaks and caps and rubbers litter up everything. Every one of their knees out and their underclothes outgrown and their waists soiled the whole time and I do try so hard. Now, with all these bewilderments, she was to have to do. She wondered if she would know how to dress him. Once she had watched Miss Winslow dress a child, and she remembered what unexpected places Miss Winslow had buttoned, buttonholes that went up and down in the skirt bands, and so on. Armholes might be too small and garters too tight, and how was one ever to know? if it were a little girl now, but a little boy. What would she talk to him about while they ate together? She lay in the dark and planned, with no pleasure but merely because she always planned everything, her dress, her baking, what she would say to this one and that. She would put up a stove in the back parlor and give him the room off. She was glad that the parlor was empty and clean, no knick-knacks for a boy to knock around, she found herself thinking. And a child would like the bedroom wallpaper with the owl border. When summer came, he could have the room over the dining-room, with the kitchen roof sloping away from it, where he could dry his hazelnuts. She had thought of the pasture hazelnuts first thing. There were a good many things a boy would like about the place. The birdhouse where the martins always built, the hens, the big hollow tree, the pasture ant hill. She would have to find out the things he liked to eat. She would have to help him with his lessons. She could do that only for a little while until he would be too old to need her. Then maybe there would come the time when he would ask her things that she would not know. 
she fell asleep wondering how he would look. Already, not from any impatience to have this done, but because that was the way in which she worked, she had his room in order, and her picture of his father was by the mirror, the young face of his father. Something faded had been written below the picture, and this she had painstakingly rubbed away before she set the picture in its place. Next day, while she was working on Miss Jane Moran's bead basque that was to be cut over and turned, she laid it aside and cut out a jacket pattern and a pleated waist pattern, just to see if she could. These she rolled up impatiently and stuffed away in her pattern bookcase. "'I knew how to do them all the while, and I never knew I knew,' she thought with annoyed surprise. "'I suppose I'll waste a lot of time pottering over him.' It was so that she spent the weeks until the letter came telling her what day the child would start. On the afternoon of the day the letter came, she went downtown to the Amos Ames Emporium to buy a wash-basin and pitcher for the room she meant the little boy to have. She stood looking at a basin with a row of brown dogs around the rim when over her shoulder Miss Abby Winslow spoke. "'You ain't buying a Christmas present for anybody, are you?' she asked warningly. Mary started guiltily and denied it. "'Well, what in time do you want with dogs on the basin?' Miss Winslow demanded. Almost against her own wish, Mary told her. Miss Winslow was one of those whose faces are invariable forerunners of the sort of thing they are going to say. With eyebrows, eyes, forehead, head, and voice, she took the news. "'He is! Forever and ever more! When's he going to get here?' "'Week after next,' Mary said listlessly. "'It's an awful responsibility, ain't it, taking a child so?' Miss Winslow's face abruptly rejected its own anxious lines and let the eyes speak for it. "'I always think children is like air,' she said. "'You never realize how hard they're pressing down on you, "'but you do know you can't live without them.' "'Mary looked at her, her own face not lighting. "'I'd rather go along like I am,' she said. "'I'm used to myself the way I am.' "'Mary Chava,' said Miss Winslow sharply, "'a vegetable sprouts, can't you?' "'Is these stocking caps made so's they won't ravel?' she inquired capably of Abel Ames. "'These are real good value, Mary,' she added kindly. "'Better surprise the little one with one of these. A red one.' Mary counted over her money and bought the red stocking cap and the basin with the puppies. Then she went into the street. The sense of oppression, of striving, that had seldom left her since that night in the stable— made the day a thing to be born, to be breasted. The air was thick with snow, and in the whiteness the dreary familiarity of the drug store, the meat market, the post office, the Simeon Buck dry goods exchange, smote her with a passion to escape from them all, to breed new familiars, to get free of the thing that she had said she would do. And I could, she thought, I could telegraph to John not to send him, but Jenny, she can't. I don't see how she stands it. The thought may have been why, instead of going home, she went to see Jenny. A neighbor was in the sitting-room with Mrs. Wing. 
Jenny met Mary at the kitchen door and stood against a background of clothes drying on lines stretched indoors. "'Don't you want to come upstairs?' Jenny said. "'There ain't a fire up there, but I can show you the things.' She had put them all in the bottom drawer, as women always do, and as women always do, had laid them so that all the lace and embroidery and pink ribbons possible showed in a flutter when the drawer was opened. Jenny took the things out, one at a time, unfolded, discussed, compared, with all the tireless zeal of a robin with a straw in its mouth or of a tree blossoming. "'Smell of them,' Jenny bade her. "'Honestly, wouldn't you know by the smell who they are for?' "'I don't know, but you would,' Mary admitted awkwardly, and marveled dumbly at the newness Jenny was feeling in that which, after all, was not new. When these things were all out, a little tissue-paper parcel was left lying in the drawer. "'There's one more,' Mary said. Jenny flushed, hesitated, lifted it. "'That's nothing,' she said. "'Before I came I made some little things for its Christmas. "'I thought maybe it would come first and we'd have the Christmas in my room, "'and I made some little things, just for fun, you know. "'But it won't be fair to do it now, with the whole town so set against our having any Christmas. "'Mary, it just seems as though I had to have a Christmas this year.' "'Oh, well,' said Mary, "'the baby'll be your Christmas.' "'The town can't help that, I guess.' "'I know,' Jenny flashed back brightly. "'You and I have got the best of them, haven't we? "'We've each got one present coming, anyway.' "'I suppose we have,' Mary said. "'She looked at Jenny's Christmas things. "'A ribbon rattle, a crocheted cap, a first picture book, "'a cascade of colored rings, "'and then in grim humor at Jenny.' "'It'll never miss its Christmas,' she said dryly. "'Don't you think so?' said Jenny soberly. "'I don't know. "'It seems as if it'd be kind o' lonesome "'to get born around Christmas and not find any going on.' "'She put the things away and closed the drawer. "'For no appreciable reason she kept it locked "'and the key under the bureau cover. "'Do you know yet when yours is coming?' Jenny asked as she rose.' "'Week after next,' Mary repeated. Two weeks from last night,' she confessed, "'if he comes straight through.' "'I think,' said Jenny, "'I think mine will be here before then.' When they reached the foot of the stair, Mary unexpectedly refused to go into the sitting-room. "'No,' she said, "'I must be getting home. I just come out for a minute anyway. I'm, I'm much obliged for what you showed me,' she added, and hesitated.' I've got his room fixed up real nice. There's owls on the wallpaper and puppies on the washbasin, she said. Come in when you can and see it. It was almost dusk when Mary reached home. While she was passing the billboard at the corner, a flare of yellow letters as if color and the alphabet had united to breed a monster, she heard children shouting, a block away and across the street, coming home from Ralston's Hill where they had been coasting, were Bennett and Gussie Bates, little Emily, Tab Winslow, and Pep. Nearly every day of snow they passed her house. She always heard them talking, and usually she heard, across at the corner, the click of the penny-in-the-slot machine, 
which no child seemed able to pass without pulling. Tonight, as she heard them coming, Mary fumbled in her purse. Three, four, five pennies she found, and ran across the street and dropped them in the slot machine, and gained her own door before the children came. She stood at her dark threshold and listened. She had not reckoned in vain. One of the children pushed down on the rod in the child's eternal hope of magic, and when magic came, and three, four, five chocolates dropped obediently in their hands, Mary listened to what they said. It was not much, and it was not very coherent, but it was wholly intelligible. "'Look at!' shrieked Bennet, who had made the magic. "'Did it?' cried Gussie, and repeated the operation. "'It—it—it never!' said Tab Winslow at the third. "'Make it again! Make it again!' cried little Emily, and they did. "'Gory!' observed Pep, in ecstasy. When it would give no more, they divided with the other children and ran on, their red mittens and mufflers flaming in the snow. Mary stood staring after them for a moment, then she closed her door. I wonder what made me do that, she thought. In her dining room she mended the fire without taking off her hat. It was curious, she reflected. Here was this room looking the way it looked, and away off there was the little fellow who had never seen the room, and in a little while he would be calling this room home, and looking for his books and his mittens, and knowing it better than any other place in the world. And there was Jenny with that bottom drawer full, and pretty soon somebody that now was not would be and would be wearing the drawerful and calling Jenny mother, and would know her better than anyone else in the world. Mary could not imagine that little boy of Lily's getting used to her, Mary, and calling her—well, what would he call her? She hadn't thought of that. Bother, thought Mary Chava, there's going to be forty nuisances about it that I suppose I haven't even thought of yet. She stood by the window. She had not lighted the lamp, so the world showed white, not black. Snow makes outdoors look big, she thought. But it was big. What a long journey it was to Idaho. Suppose something happened to the man he was to travel with. John Blood was only a boy. He would probably put the child's name and her address in the little traveler's pocket, and these would be lost. The child was hardly old enough to remember what to do. He would go astray, and none of them would ever know what had become of him. And what would become of him? She saw him and his bundle of clothes alone in the station in the city. She turned from the window and mechanically mended the fire again. She drew down the window shade and went to the coat closet to hang away her wraps. Then abruptly she took up her purse, counted out the money in the firelight, and went out the door and down the street in the dusk and into the post office, which was also the telegraph office, one which the little town owed to Ebenezer Rule, and it a rival to the other telegraph office at the station. "'How much does it cost to send a telegram?' she demanded. "'Idaho,' she answered the man's question, flushing at her omission. While the man, Affer by name, laboriously looked it up, 
covering incredible dirty little figures with an incredibly big dirty forefinger, Mary stood staring at the list of names tacked below the dog-eared Christmas notice. She remembered that she had not yet signed it herself. She asked for a pencil, causing confusion to the little figures and delay to the big finger, and while she waited wrote her name. A good sensible move, she thought, as she signed. When Affer gave her the rate, thrusting finger and figures jointly beneath the bars, solicitous of his own accuracy, Mary filed her message. It was to John Blood, and it read, Be sure you tie his tag on him good. End of chapter 6